Hi ladies, welcome back to Weekly Haftorah. This week is Parshas Chukas. So if you're outside of Israel, stop right here. Go back to last week's recording because your Parsha this week is Korach. So let's get a very quick overview of this Parsha. The first Aliyah and a half is dealing with the Para Aguma. Basically, this was a procedure that was required to remove Tumas Hames. So the ritual impurity that someone would acquire by coming into contact with a dead body. So this procedure, in very short, entailed a perfect red heifer with no blemishes being processed into an ashen type of paste, which the Kohanim would use to remove the impurity of someone who had Tumas Hames on them. There's a ton to be said about this procedure, and I tremendously oversimplified it just now. So if you want to know more, I'm going to refer you back to this year that we did on Parshas Para a few uh, months ago before Pesach, and that goes into things more in detail if you're curious. Next in the Parsha, we see the episode with Moshe and Aaron at Meimariva. So after Miriam's death, the well that had been sustaining Bnei Yisrael in the desert stopped giving water. So Hashem instructs Moshe to speak to a certain rock in order to do this public miracle of bringing enough water out of it to sustain the Jews in the desert. The conventional understanding of this episode is that Moshe and Aaron messed up because they hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And this is the act for which Moshe and Aaron were actually punished with not being allowed to enter the land of Israel. Again, there's so much more to be said about this than I just ran through in the last few seconds. Um, what exactly was Moshe and Aaron's sin? What did they do wrong? Why were they punished so severely? But I'll leave that to a Parsha Shir because it's not so relevant to us understanding the Haftorah this week. So next in the Parsha, the Jews arrive at the border of Edom and they request to pass through the land. The king of Edom refuses, even though the Jews promise we won't take any resources, we won't damage anything, we just want to pass through. He still says no. Therefore, the Jews are forced to go around Edom and enter the land of Israel from the east instead. When the Jews arrive at a place called Mount Hor, Aaron HaKohen dies. And in the rest of the Parsha, the Jews spent immersed in various conflicts. The events that I'm going to discuss from the Parsha here on out aren't necessarily in chronological order. But there's an episode where the Jews complain about the manna again. And Hashem sends a punishment to them for these complaints. So they have this plague of snakes that bite a bunch of them. And Moshe is required to daven on their behalf in order to heal them. Um, also, the, Israel get, the Israelites get attacked by the Amalekim, who dis- disguise themselves as Kenanim. And other, two other nations in the area, the Amorim and the Bashan, these are all along the east bank of the Jordan River. And... As a result of these attacks, Israel does war with each of these nations, and they eventually capture a lot of the land that's on the east bank of the Jordan River. That's really important to remember, because these lands are going to be contested in the Haftorah this week, which takes place a few hundred years later. So, let's discuss a little bit of context for the Haftorah. This week, it's coming from Parak Yud Aleph of Sefer Shoktim, so that's chapter 11 of the Book of Judges. The era of Shoftim lasted about 355 years from the time the Jews enter the land of Israel until the first king, Shaul, is anointed. Long before the crowning of David HaMelech and before the building of the first temple is when all of these events are going on. Basically, to characterize this era, we can describe it as politically unstable. It's a time of tribal factioning 
And there's this ongoing cycle of sinning and repentance. Repetitively throughout the book of Shoftim, the Jews sort of lapse into a Vodazara. Hashem sends some sort of punishment to them. They wake up and they realize, oh my gosh, we've been sinning. They do tshuva, and then slowly, slowly it happens again. Um, throughout this period, there's a very rapid succession of changing leaders, some of whom were more successful than others. So the length of time that a given leader or a given shofate uh, was in charge was usually closely correlated with the number of sins that the Jews did under their leadership. So some of the shoftim, ones you're probably familiar with, Deborah and Barak, Gidon, um, they were very righteous leaders and they were very concerned with keeping the Torah and the mitzvahs in the land of Israel at this time. Others weren't as concerned with that and as a result, their, their rulership was much shorter. So this week's half Torah is centering on one of the shoftim named Yiftach. Yiftach is the 10th shofate and he ruled for a total of about six years. He lived from around the years 2730 to 2880 in Jewish years. That's around... 930 to 880 BCE in secular years, if that helps you more. The opening three pesukim of our Haftorah explain to us a little bit about Yiftach's backstory. So he was born to a man named Gilad, and he was born to this man's second wife. Now, there's a little bit of controversy surrounding Yiftach's mother because she married Yiftach's father, who was not a member of the tribe of her father's house. So she's marrying out, out of her tribe. And as a result of that, um, Yiftach is ostracized by his half-brothers who were born to another one of his father's wives um, because his mother sort of break the norm by bear, marrying out of her father's tribe. So for this, you know, he grows up getting made fun of and ostracized. So he moves away, he leaves, and he moves to a land that's called Tov, which is to the northeast of the land of Israel. Then one day, a nation nearby to Israel's east um, called Ammon declares war on Israel. Their claim was that Israel had settled in Gilad, which is labeled on the map that I'm going to send out. It's an area of land. that Israel was settled there when they had no true claim to land. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? History repeats itself. I know, it's very cruel humor. Um, the elders of, of Gilad that are in this area, they convene and they call on Yiftach. The text describes him as a gibor chayil, as like a man who's skilled in, in war and who is, who is well fit out for these things. So the elders seek him out and they call on him to lead them into battle. Yiftach isn't so sure. He's the same people who made fun of him and ostracized him for his mother's choices, drove him out of the land. He's not so sure, but eventually he, he does agree. So Yiftach sends messengers to the king of Ammon, which, if you read in the Parsha, is very reminiscent of how Moshe Rabbeinu approached the king of Edom. And in Pasach Tesvav, the messengers say, It means, thus said Yiftach, who sent us, Israel didn't take away the land of Moab and the land of Ammon. This is, this is our land. We have a right to it. The key word here in this Pasach is lakach. We didn't take it from them. We have a right to it. These messengers then launched into a, a, an explanation, which goes on for about 12, 13 psukim, of why exactly Israel has rightful claims to this land, to Gilad. So to summarize that, Ammon accuses Israel of stealing the land 
on the way out of Egypt. They say, you, you left Egypt and you, you just took this land from us on your way out. But the messengers explain that, no, that's not at all how it went down. We have a right to this land because we rightfully conquered it. And that wasn't even our plan. We were provoked. We requested to pass through all these lands in peace. We just want to be left alone. We want to pass through. But the nations that lived there, they refused and they attacked us. And because we have Hashem on our side constantly, we won those wars. So the land became ours. Not to mention, we've been living on this land for hundreds of years. So why only now are you bringing this up? What gives? So this explanation in a way is like a mini summary of the last few aliyahs of our Parsha this week. Um, so we can really see that connection of why this Haftorah is paired with, with the Parsha. So, of course, even after this long, thought-out explanation, Amon still doesn't listen, refuses to, to, to let us alone, and um, you know, decides that they, they want to go to war with us. So Yiftach in Pasuk Lamed makes a vow to Hashem. He says, if, if you help me win this war that's going to ensue with Amon, I'll make a sacrifice to you as, as soon as you deliver me in peace from this war. The last two psukim of the Haftor explain that Yiftach was very successful in this battle, and that's where the Haftor ends. So it sounds like a nice, happy ending, except it's kind of not. Um, an important side note to make is that the specific Lushan that Yiftach uses and translated, it, it translates as whatever emerges from my house when I return in peace from this war, um, that's, that's what I'll sacrifice to you. So this means that Yiftach is prepared to make a human sacrifice. So what ends up happening is that the first thing that comes out of his door is his daughter. And Yiftach has made an oath. He can't exactly take it back. Um, so this is, is a large part of why Yiftach is a controversial leader. If you read on in this parak past the Haftorah, you'll, you'll understand sort of what happens with this episode and, and, and what goes on with that. It's uh, rather interesting. So what is there to be learned from this Haftorah? So I noticed in relationship with the Parsha that the Haftorah is kind of reinforcing to us the importance of remembering our history. In this specific pairing, we see it remembered for the good. We see what happened when we tried to pass through these nations and it, it ended up benefiting us in the end. But I took this to understand we have to also remember the bad. Uh, we see a difference in how Yiftach's messengers remember the history that led to Israel's possession of Gilad, of this contested land, and how the king of Ammon remembers it. The king of Ammon seems to only remember the parts that improve his case to dispossess the Jews of his land. But Yiftach's messengers tell the whole story. They remember history in its entirety, which eventually helped us defend our rights to the land. Um, message here to me is that Hashem rewards us for having an honest view of our entire history, both the good parts and the bad. And to me, this has two important implications. First, um, we're going into a time in the Jewish year that's really difficult. Tamas and Av are hard months for me, as I'm sure they are um, for many of you guys. They're long, they're hot, they're really sad, we're fasting, we're not listening to music. It's it's taxing, it's a lot. And even sometimes I feel the sense of embarrassment that, you know, the Jewish people did these things which led to the destruction of the temple. This only came about because we made choices. Um, this week's Haftorah is reminding us that Hashem rewards us even for remembering our history in its entirety, 
bad parts and all. We hear this idea that people who mourn the temple, people who remember why it was destroyed, are especially Zohar to see it rebuilt in the future, and that's sort of an idea that this pairing is reinforcing to me, that we also have to remember the bad parts of our history. Number two, the second thing this does for me is it kind of reinforces to me the importance of studying Tanakh. So I was just talking with someone about this today, actually, but Navi is my favorite thing to learn because it presents humans in their true forms, mistakes, sins, everything. It's not like the Gadol stories that you hear today of, oh, this Rav was so perfect. He studied Torah all day. He lived such a minimalistic life. He didn't eat. He didn't sleep. He was a malach. Like, that's not the story of our historical figures that the Tanakh tells at all. The people in Tanakh were real. They were human beings. Moshe Rabbeinu made mistakes. Moshe Rabbeinu, we see it in this week's Parsha. Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, misinterprets things that God told him. He gets impatient. Even the most righteous leaders that we have make mistakes and fall sometimes. And if we're honest about the great people in Jewish history, their triumphs and their trials, we gain an understanding that if Hashem loves them despite their mistakes, maybe even because of their mistakes and how they recover from them, he certainly can love us for the same things too. And um, that was really sort of the messages that I drew out from this week's pairing. So as always, thanks you guys so much for listening. If you could, I sent out a feedback form earlier this week, yesterday. So no, Tuesday, actually, sorry. <laughs> so if you could take even just two minutes to fill that out, tell me what's working for you about this year. Tell me what you'd like to see more of, what's not working for you. Um, that would really help me tailor this better to what you're looking for. And um, uh, feel free to fill that out. As always, if you want to reach out to me, I'm here and have a great Shabbos, guys. I'll see you next week.